Hello, my name is Ben. And my name is Marco. And welcome to Hopefully Not Heresy, a podcast where we sit down and talk about what's on our minds. I hope you can sit down with us and join us as we shoot the breeze and pray. It's Hopefully Not Heresy. Hello, beautiful people. Hello, beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> we just steal That's that. the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. Sorry, David. Yeah. We'll, we'll pay your royalties in a second. <laughs> Cash or check? <laughs> cool. Okay, so welcome everybody. This is the numero uno first episode of H and H. Hopefully not heresy. Ooh. Hopefully not heresy. Yes. Um, all Ben's idea. <laughs> um, so here I am. I'm name's Marco. I'm on this mic. Uh, hey, what's up? My name is Ben. Uh, I'm on this mic. <laughs> nice. We're sitting right across from each other. Yeah. You can't see that. <laughs> um, yeah. So. We're just kind of here. We're going to talk about theology, Catholic theology in particular, oh, yeah. and uh, we're going to just uh, kind of dive deeper into whatever topic comes into Ben's behind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, without yeah. further ado, Mr. Benjamin, yes. take it away. So as of recent, uh, this scripture has been popping up in my head and just popping in prayer and popping up in my daily life. Um, and I remember like a week ago, I went up to Mark. I was like, this is what I want to talk about. Because it's something that I believe is very a uh, controversial and and especially to our Protestant brothers and sisters, very <laughs> heretical. <laughs> but for Catholics, it's something that um, we 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 just adore and we love, and it's it's something beautiful that I'd love to start talking about. Now, the scripture that I want to open up to, if you have your Bibles, if not, that's chill. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Revelations 12. And for those that automatically know what that is, that is the woman in the dragon. I should have opened this already to it, but I'm trying to... That's okay. Build time. We're just going to kill time a bit. Um, while y'all are flipping to your Bibles, um, in the meantime, Ben, what's your, what's your preferred uh, translation of the Bible? Yes, my preferred translation, honestly, it's the one I have right now. It's just the RSV, uh, the Revised Standard Version. And I don't know. So I, I, I was talking to JP about this um, and I kind of just like how, how more poetic, I guess it sounds than, than the other translations. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, there's certain parts that like, uh, I like the other translation, but better for, but all in all, I think this one's probably my favorite of just how it gets across the message and the, the sing songiness of the poems. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking about it earlier today with JP, actually. Um, yeah, he was mentioning how, like, RSV is a little more, like, academic, and it's, like, more, like, original to, like, the original, like, transcripts, like, the Greek transcripts, right? Um, I mean, I'm more of an NAB fan myself, but, like, mad respect for RSV, you know? <laughs> um, I feel like, yeah, oh yeah, it's just, and, we love originality. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, and I feel like if, we'll probably catch flack if we don't mention so the Dewey Roms version. Uh, <laughs> yes. The, yes. like, the, the literal I don't know. I, I've heard his like the literal translation of the Vulgate from to English with all the the thou's uh, and all that good stuff, which that, that one I love, but um, I just don't have it. And yeah, <laughs> indeed, 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 indeed. All right. Ready? Yeah. All right. Bueno. All right. So Revelations 12 opens up with an and it goes like this. 
And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems upon his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. All right. So, John, let's be, I, I feel like I need to begin there. It's just talking about John and how he writes. John the Apostle, as he puts it in his own gospel, he was the beloved of Christ. Uh, he was the youngest apostles out of all of them. Um, and he also was the only apostle not to be martyred. And so he's writing this uh on an island that he was, he was, uh, not excommunicated to, oh gosh, abandoned? I guess outcasted. <laughs> outcasted to, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a word out there. No, no, I know it's out there. But yeah, outcasted to pretty much. Um, and he had this great vision. And this is where Revelations come from. Now, Revelations wasn't written originally with like chapters and verses and all of that. It was just written as one whole block of a thing. And so that and is very important because it means to the reader that what came before is a part of that, right? And so what came before is something changing, like life changing to the Jews. If you're, if you're a first century Jew reading this, it, it's, life-changing and and so what comes before this let us read <laughs> then god's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple and there were flashes of lightning loud noises peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail and a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun so majority of this i'm getting is from scott hans hill holy queen um, because that was the one I had in hand when I was trying to, to restudy for this. Uh, and he talks in depth about it. He talks in depth about how the Ark of the Covenant was last seen like 500, 600 years before uh, Christ came or Revelations uh, was written. And so for 500 years, they were without the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant for those that don't necessarily know the importance of it? The Ark of the Covenant holds for the Jewish people, the word of God, the, the written law of God, right? And so you see it throughout the Old Testament from Moses all the way till King David and then uh, the prophet Isaiah. It's being held as such a holy thing to where like even touching it, you will die, <laughs> right? There was, there was this one person that the ark fell onto and he like touched it and he burst into dust. Like it is, it is powerful and it is powerful beautiful right and so within the ark of the covenant contains three things one like i said the word of god two 
the manna, like it's a relic of the manna that was sent down to the Israelites when they were in the desert. And then three, the staff of Aaron, which is, denotes his priesthood, his like priestly roles and all of that. And so within this one Ark of the Covenant, you have three notorieties of God's promise and God's love, right? And on top of their Ark was built this chair. And that chair was always left empty because that was the chair or the throne of God, right? So let's bring it back in. You're first century Jew. You're reading this. And then you read the Ark of the Covenant. You see that John has found it. Uh, the prophet Isaiah hid it in a cave. For 500 years, you can find that cave. You thought it was at the temple, but it actually wasn't. The Romans ransacked that place and they found it to be empty. And so now somebody found it. It would be like for us. Oh, I'm trying to think. What, what, would, be, what, what would it be like? What do, you, what do you mean exactly? Like something something like just monumental that has been lost and then like all of a sudden we just found it. Mm. Can it be like a physical object? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, what has been lost? What has been found? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of is like uh, the Garden of Eden or, or Atlantis or something like that. Okay, right? yeah, of, something like that. Okay. Yeah, something to, like that would cause a buzz. Like I'd hear it We'd probably all hear it within the next like hour or something if somebody like discovered Atlantis, right? Oh, dude, Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda Triangle. Okay, yeah, all those planes and ships, they just like all of a sudden show up one day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's something newsworthy and something that like catches your eye and you want to know more about it. Now, as you read on, you're like, oh my gosh, he found the Ark of the Covenant. It's in Christ's temple. It's in heaven. It was brought up into heaven. What, what is the scene there? And so John goes on to describe it. The scene is thunder, lightning, hailstorms, this, this power, this, this reign of God, right? And then he just stops. He just leaves it, right? From the way we read it, he just leaves it. And he, then he goes on to talk about this random woman for whatever reason. But like I said, back then, they didn't have chapters. They just had it straight. And so again, with that and, we can read it as it was supposed to be, and that is a continuation. John is implying that the Ark of the Covenant that is in heaven is no longer a physical thing as like a book, as a, a chest, but it is a person now. And that is the woman. She is ordained in the golden light of the sun. She has the moon at her feet. She is a crown of stars, right? Of 12 stars. And within her, can you guess what is within her? Um, I feel like we, okay, let's see. What we, so you would think, hmm, some sort of child, question mark? Some sort of child, yeah. Uh, it talks about a male child, right? Mm. And the male child goes on to become the ruler of all these nations, carrying a, uh, an iron rod, and later on, uh, I'm not, I don't remember, honestly, if we read it in that, but later on, he gets swept up into heaven. Everybody and their sister and mother will agree that that is Christ. <laughs> that is an allusion to Christ, the king, right? The ruler of all. And so if Christ, the king is that, then who is his mother? 
M- Mary. Yeah, yes. Mary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't remember that. Uh, it's Mary. And so we have this woman, Mary, who is in heaven and is now being called the Ark of the Covenant. And how true that is once when we start to realize who Jesus truly is. So again, what was in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? It was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the law of God. The manna. The manna. The manna and then, yeah. The staff of Aaron. Staff of Aaron, yes. So, the staff of Aaron symbolizes priesthood. Who is Christ but the eternal priest? But the the priest over all priests, the the priest to end all priests, pretty much, right? Who is Christ but the bread of life? Not just the bread of from heaven, but the bread of life. Who is Christ, but not just the law of God, not just the word of God written on something, but as John said in his gospel, in his opening gospel, who is Jesus but the word of God? So not only, not only is this woman, uh, who's, who's a creation, who's a creator, uh, not a creator, a creation, a creature. That's what I was looking for. Creature. Uh, not only is this woman is honored to be likened to the tabernacle, but honestly, it's the other way around. The tabernacle should be honored to be likened to Mary, our mother, right? Because she holds something more important than the tabernacle could ever hold. <clears throat> Sorry, I kind of got a bit dry on that one. <laughs> so, Mary is obviously something important, somebody beautiful, amazing, but doesn't like the Catholic Church teach that she ended up having birth pangs or something, or she didn't have birth pangs during a childbirth, right? And that's usually uh, the thing that comes up is that. Oh, well, if that's like an, an, an absolute symbolism of Mary, then she had to have birth pangs because it says right there, it is in pangs of birth. <laughs> she cries out, you know. Um, but the church still holds that it is symbolism of Mary, but yet she didn't have those birth pains. And so the, what the uh, church fathers decreed and what they kind of figured out <clears throat> was that throughout the Bible, we hear the cry, somebody crying or somebody being likened to birth pangs when they're in great sorrow, when they're in great pain, when they have have great loss of spiritual significance, right? They cry out in pains. They they have these great movements of heart. And so I can't remember the exact church father, but one of the church fathers commentates on it saying that was the cries that Mary had. That was the cries that you read when it talks about uh, <clears throat> the the great pangs of the crying and the great pangs of birth that Mary was experiencing. Because while, yes, she didn't experience birth pangs as like the normal way, she knew what she was giving birth to. She knew that at some point, even when and when she brought it to uh, brought him to get a. Uh, uh, not baptized. Uh, Censist? Right? Circumcised? Circumcised. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you brought him to get circumcised. And um, uh, uh, Isaac, one of, the, one of the old men is like, your heart will be stabbed, right? 
Your heart will be stabbed and it will be pierced by a sword. Now, there's there's two words for swords in, I would say it was Greek. One is like a short sword, like a little dagger or something. Mm-hmm. But the other one was this great big sword. It was it was in likeness to like a gladius or something like that. Huge. Huge, yeah. And, and they use the word of the great big sword, right? So it's not just like a little poke or a little prod. It is stabbed, ran through, right? And so that is the birth pangs. That is the cry they, uh, that John alludes to when he talks about that she had a great cry. And birth pangs is when she gave birth, she was fully admitting herself to the will of God and to what he offered. And for her, that was suffering. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Then goes on. Uh, the the the. Ooh, I'm gonna be stuttering so much. <laughs> it's okay. It's only the first episode. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but then it brings in this other character, this dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems. Diadems. I can never know how to pronounce that word. Um, and obviously, this one is an allusion to 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 the devil, right? To Satan. Now, some scholars have actually gone into this and found even more uh, allusions to it as the uh, seven heads, they symbolize the seven rulers of the, the seven Herods that ruled through, throughout Israel. And the uh, ten horns were the ten emperors of Rome that, that spanned the Roman Empire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they liken it to that of basically John is writing to his, his people, to, to the fellow Christians, Jews, whatever, of saying this baby that is being born is threatening the reign of Caesar, is threatening the reign of Herod, right? And they do not like that. And we see that within uh, Matthew, where Herod yeah, is kills, just commits one of the most atrocious in 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 infanticides uh not as great as the ones we're getting into right now with abortion but that's a hundred a completely different subject (laughs) (laughs) um but he but he kills so many so many children and where does god protect his ark of the covenant and his son where does he send them where does uh the angel Gabriel tell Joseph go to. Egypt. The the wilderness or the desert is also another way you can translate it. And as we see here, and the woman fled into the wilderness or the desert, where she has a place prepared by God. And so this is not only alluding to uh, to to just kind of like Mary's importance and Mary's role and the future of the apocalypse and what's going to look like, but it's also alluding to the the birth of Christ, the birth of God, the the incarnation, right? But it also alludes to something even further back. It alludes to as John loves to do. It alludes to the beginning, to Genesis, 
right? Because again, this woman is only referred to as the woman or a woman, right? Which brings us back to, again, if we're first introduced, it brings us back to Genesis to where Adam never calls Eve Eve, but he just calls her woman, right? And it also alludes back to his own writings in the gospel to where he pretty much just never names Mary by Mary, but just calls her the woman or a woman. He is trying to drive home the fact that Eve and Mary are similar, are very similar. But Mary's the fulfillment of Eve. As Christ is the new Adam, so we must have a new Eve. And so that's why the church calls, again, Mary the new Eve, right? And where Eve failed in not trusting God's promise and not trusting God's providence and relying on herself, Mary brought forth. Not only did she fully trust in God's promise, in God's providence, she fully trusted in God's love in, in all that he he promised to Israel, right? Oh, excuse me. I'm just burping all day. <laughs> Dude, it happens. Yeah. So, like I said, Mary is the new Eve, and John makes that explicitly clear. Granted, he never calls her that, but the Bible's never one to kind of directly call things out. It does a lot. Other things, you kind of reference for it. you smell it mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. is a good way to put it yeah <laughs> you smell yeah. it you smell yeah. it. um after after that passage uh it gets into 7 to th- 12 and there's this great battle between satan and michael um and it and it depicts this this clash not not necessarily clash of titans uh but this clash of of heavenly proportioned war and michael just cast the devil down and once when the devil falls down guess who's his first target the woman that brought forth the son of god the son of man the ruler and so it goes on to read and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth he pursued the woman who had borne the male child but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood, but the earth came to help the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river which the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. All right, so what do we have now? After this great battle, after Satan fell, right? He's now wishing to do harm his his. Uh, anger and his pride is his pride is now hurt, right? Because the whole story with Satan is that he he thought that he could do better than God. That this these lowly creatures that God made, that God was going to raise up to pretty much their standard. He's like, I don't want anything to do with these people, with these disgusting humans who are finite. I have infinite intellect, and you're going to try to raise them up to me? Sure, okay, yeah, 
wink. <laughs> and so he sought to to uh, try and disprove God, and and that's with the fall. That's why he tempted Eve was was to to get at God and saying like these humans you created that you think so highly of. Oh no, they're just trash. But God was like. Well, now that you like did that, not only am I going to bring those two up, but I'm also going to create so many heavenly and beautiful people. And I'm going to create this person that not only is equal to you, but greater than you. That is just a creature. And that will be Mary. And so he gets sent down. He's angry. He's going after this new Eve, right? Now in... Genesis, the Eve, not the Eve, the serpent, uh, tempts Eve by saying, uh, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this fruit, right? He, he, he tempts Eve by just twisting so slightly and then having her twist it back and then just back and forth, right? And so this serpent, this great big dragon just pours out forth from his mouth this water that could be considered words or whatever. But this water, this river, is comes forth from him. And throughout the Bible, you can see the rivers being uh, symbolism of temptation, right? Uh, the, the waters of... Uh, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting all of them now. But just trust me. <laughs> the river is usually symbolism of, of temptations. Um, and so... Then what happens to her? What what happens when when this river starts coming towards her to 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 drown her basically, right? We read that the earth helped her, right? Not only did it was it like she she didn't have to say anything. The earth was like, "We got you, boo," and just opened up, swallowed the river, and that was that. She was she was perfectly safe. So this woman that we saw with robed in light right? Robed in the sun with the moon at her feet, not only has rain over the, uh, the celestial bodies, the bodies in heaven, but also rain over the earth. One might even say she is the queen of everything, of heaven and earth, <laughs> right? Then afterwards, the dragon was like, you know what, screw it. I'll just like, oh, wait, no, no. Then afterwards, she gets taken and brought into the desert once more. Now, there's one thing about the desert. It is a place of silence, <laughs> right? It is very barren, uh, very, very, very silent, usually. Uh, you'll read in, in, in pretty much like every prophet, every uh, just big name saint, they usually go off in the desert at some point, or they go off on this like sabbatical for like some time, and they just, they're, they're just silence. You wouldn't, so slight aside, you wouldn't like liken that to like Dark Knight of the Souls, would you? You could. I think you very much could because within the Dark Knight of the Soul, he very much does talk about silence, but that's the silence that God covers you with so that you can't see or hear uh, the movement within yourself that he's he's making, right? Um, because the thought is like, if you can't see it and if you don't know about it, then neither does the devil and the devil can't tempt you that way. Right. Okay. Um, so you could, that that's one of the reasons why a lot of them go off into the desert because 
in the desert, there are no rivers, right? There are no temptations. And so they're there in the silence and God does not come in uh, the roaring flames or the great winds, but in the whispers, right? And so it's in the silence that we can hear those whispers. Um, that's why some of the great, greatest mystics of all are usually come from the desert, <laughs> right? Yeah, we can, that sounds like a... Like a good topic we can cover oh, at some point. 100%, 100%. Oh, yeah. Connor, <laughs> Cardinal Robert Sarah, here we go. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Cardinal Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's going to listen to me. <laughs> you never know, man. <laughs> never know, never know. Um, so the desert is always usually a place for hearing God's voice, right? So she gets taken on eagle's wings, nonetheless, right? Not just like wings. He didn't just say wings. He said eagle's wings, right? Um, the, <laughs> every time I read that, what comes to mind is that song that's like, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings. <laughs> Straight banger. Straight banger. <laughs> um, but that's, that's because eagle's wings were, were, were a symbol of, of just like power, of greatness, right? And so he didn't just use any ordinary wings. Uh, I think in Isaiah, he, she, he talks about that the woman is taken with uh, wings of doves, right? And John's like, no, it wasn't wings of doves. It was wings of eagles because that is how powerful God wants her to be and how powerful she is, right? And again, it's not through her own fruition that she has this. It is through God's. Not once will you hear a Catholic saying that this is God, this is Mary's power. Mary has the power to forgive sins. Mary has the power to do this. No, it is never her, right? It is always God's. Or at least a Catholic shouldn't be saying that because that is heresy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you know? What do you know, man? What do you know? I'm pointing to something here. <laughs> um, kind of on a side tangent, there was actually her uh uh, these group of people, I can't remember what they're called, but back in uh, a, a, before medieval times, they they would offer mass and offer the Eucharist, the sacrifice of the Eucharist to Mary, right? And when the church found out, when the Pope found out about it, he immediately shut it down. He's like, no. He's like, that is reserved for God alone. That sacrifice of the mass, that holy sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices is for God alone. So yes, Mary's great. Mary's important. Mary's beautiful. She's venerable. She's venerated above all others. She's not adored as God is adored. She's not venerated as God is venerated. I think that's a very important distinction to make too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot that Mary is, is like the moon, right? Uh, to where the moon's light is n not anything of its own fruition but it just reflects the light from the sun so as mary does with god's love and prosper and mercy and all of that she reflects it perfectly yeah i don't think yeah that's a good way of putting it i've never actually heard that analogy before really? <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah <laughs> was i saw this one joke that was like a it was it was on celebration of the Apollo landing on the moon, and somebody like tweeted out, "Wow, thanks NASA uh, for 
going to the moon and finding that a, a woman standing on top of it and she's truly the queen <laughs> or something like that. It was, it was, it was, I remember just reading it and just like laughing. I was like, yeah, yeah. Right. that'd be pretty dope. <laughs> that'd be pretty dope. <laughs> right. Heck man, if I become a, an uh, astronaut and I go to the moon, you bet your buckle I'm placing a Mary figurine on that thing. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Beyond earth. Beyond earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this chapter finally ends with then the dragon was angry with a woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now, we thought Mary was a virgin, right? She's a perpetual virgin. How can she have other offspring? Right? How can she have these other kids if she's perpetually a virgin? Like, okay, okay, I'll concede. God is miraculous and it's said in the prophecies that he, Christ was going to be born a virgin, but like afterwards, come on. She's like, what, 14? Joseph, if you believe in a young Joseph, Joseph's like 20. Uh, dang, that's, oh my gosh, that's old. I am, jeez. Uh. <laughs> what, am I, what am I doing, bro? <laughs> uh, Joseph's like 20. He's got all this like pent up energy. Like, you're going to tell me that those two married couple are going to stay chased throughout the relationship, throughout this beautiful marriage. Uh, Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, but no, yeah, we, we hold to that view because we, uh, realize, and it's a tradition within the church that Mary and Joseph made a vow of virginity before they even got married, before they even were betrothed to each other. They made a vow of virginity to God. And so that's why they were put together because like, okay, to, to protect both of them, to make sure that this vow of God will never be broken by anybody else. We'll put them together so that they can keep each other safe. Right? And so, yes, we hold to the fact that she's a perpetual virgin. Now, <clears throat> what about these kids? Well, once again, I kind of mentioned it a bit ago, but if we look back to the greatest pinnacle of love, the greatest... Monstrosity of mankind, the crucifixion. If we look to that, we see one of my favorite passages. Christ is on the cross and he's dying. Every breath he takes pains him. Every word he speaks has got to be a very important word. He should not be wasting those last moments, right? <laughs> And so what is the last thing he does before he dies? One of the last things. He sees Mary and John, his beloved disciple. And he looks to John and he says, Behold your mother. And he looks to Mary and he says, Behold your son. Now, if Mary had kids... Christ wouldn't need to do this, right? If Mary had other kids, she would just go live with them. Why would he entrust a friend of his, even though he was a beloved, why, why would he like take that privilege of housing his mother away from his brothers and sisters, his like physical brothers and sisters? If Mary had kids, they would have taken her in. That's another, another sign that Mary didn't have any other kids besides Christ. But why John? <laughs> why why can it like be peter the the leader of the church uh why can it have been 
somebody else, right? Uh, Matthew or or uh, uh, Matthias or or James the Lesser, James the Great, all the other like why was it John? Because throughout John's gospel, you can always read him as the young church, as the people of the church. When John rests his head on on Christ's breast during the Last Supper, so do we rest our heads on Christ's chest during Mass to to rest, right? This is this is our great union with God, and this is our time of rest, right? And so when Christ speaks to John, the beloved, right, is what he's 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 just called the beloved. He's talking to all of his his disciples, all of his followers in a sense all of the catholics all of the i'm gonna just say catholics all the catholics because <laughs> clearly protestants don't care about mary oh. <sighs> uh, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. yeah <laughs> uh mind you we are both cradle catholics <laughs> indeed, indeed. With, with all due respect yeah with all due respect <laughs> we love y'all yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so Mary, he turns to his, his, his people and he says, behold your mother. Now this word behold, uh, ecce in Latin, ecce. It's one of my favorite words because for me, it means more than just like look or see. It's behold. Look with your whole body embrace. Uh, just it's one of those words of, of like if I were to hear it now. I'd think uh, that this person's crazy. If I was to like go out and I'd hear somebody behold and they like a masterpiece or whatever and they like pull it down as like this modern art or whatever. <laughs> it's just like pieces of scribbles. Yeah, just some scribbles or something. I'd be like, uh, I'm, I, there's nothing really to behold on that, but okay, sure. But then when we hear it every time in the Gospels, one of the other few times that we hear behold is when Christ holds up the bread of life and says, behold, or no, no, this is, it's in John's apocalypse. It's later in the book. Oh my gosh. I'm, I can't believe I've got that. It's later in the book. And, and it's, it's, uh, John the Baptist's exclamation of when he sees Jesus walking, he says, behold the lamb of God, behold him who will take away the sins of the world. Right. So that behold should that word behold or that word eche should not be read upon lightly. It should be read upon as something that we should dive deeper into, dive dive deeper into a more intimate relationship with. And so Christ turns to us, looks us in the eye. He's on the cross. Imagine, I just want you to imagine that. He's on the cross, bleeding, suffering. His eye is swollen shut. His back is gouged out you can see ribs and he takes a breath a pained breath says behold your mother and then he looks at mary and says behold your son ah so now this great mother of god this great queen of heaven and earth this great queen of the universe, so many things, right? Is now our mother. There's this, uh, 
Meditation by St. Jose Maria Escriva. Over the fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption, right? I'm going to just read it real quick. Yeah, it's going to be close. Assumpta est Maria in cellum, guardant angeli. God has taken Mary, body and soul, to heaven, and the angels rejoice. So sings the church, and so with that same cry of joy, we begin our contemplation in this decade of the rosary. The mother of God has fallen asleep. Around her bed are the twelve apostles, Matthias in the place of Judas. And we also, through a grace respected by all, are at her side. But Jesus wants to have his mother, body and soul in heaven. And the heavenly court, arrayed in all its splendor, greets Our Lady. You and I, children after all, take the train of Mary's magnificent blue cloak. And thus, we are able to watch the marvelous scene. The most blessed trinity receives and showers honors on the daughter mother and spouse of God. And so great is the lady's majesty that angels exclaim, who is she? I remember when I was like going through the rosary and uh, I prayed that I got to that meditation. Like as soon as I posed that last thing of who is she? I, I just started bawling, right? <laughs> just, just crying. Uh, because like, we read in Matthew 16, Jesus kind of posing a similar question of like, who do you say that I am, right? And through a light, pretty much every Bible study that I've been in that goes over that, they ask you to basically ask that question of Christ, of who do you say that I am? And then flip it back of saying, who do you, I say that you are, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a wonderful meditation. I highly encourage you to, to do that if you haven't yet. And to do it if you have, yeah. right? Uh but then we also forget to, that we can do that to with other people, right? And we see that as a prime example with Mary of asking, who is she, right? Who is she? Who is this person that it has been ordained the queen of heaven, right? The queen of the angels, the queen of earth, the queen of the universe, the terror of demons by her glance, legions of demons just flee. Who is she? She is our mother. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> I love my mother. I love her. I'm, I hope you do too. As, as do we all. As I do we, hope. <laughs> <laughs> we hope. Um, but I love her and I can think of just the countless of times she sacrificed her own happiness, her own joy so that I could be happy, so that I could eat food on the table, so that I could go out and play. I can think of many times to where she had to like sit me down and give me a good stern talking to. Uh, And she she was typically the one that did that because of reasons we'll talk about in another podcast. (laughs) Um and like for so much she sacrificed and how much she loves me. Right. Now that imagine that, but with Mary, Mary's our mother. She is not only the exact same, but she's perfect. She's the perfect mother, right? Christ, the only person in the world was able to create his mother. Would you not make her the most beautiful, most perfect person ever? 
So with that, we take on Mary as our mother. Who is she? Who is she? And with that, I'd like to just like kind of end with that thought. Just asking yourself, who is she? Pray, pray the litany of Mary, right? Go through all of her different names. And then through it all, know that she is our mother. How much, how close you are to your mother is how close we should be to her. Um, of course, we barely even scratched the surface. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, there's a a whole study dedicated to me. Oh yeah, Mariology. Yeah, Yeah. there's there's people who spend their lives on this, um, and we just spent a 50 minutes apparently uh, (laughs) talking about it. And so yeah, we barely even scratched it. We just went over one chapter. Um, There's so much more. There's a couple books that I would like to uh, uh, point out that like if you want to dive more into this, if you want to love your mother even more, learn about her even more. Uh, there's one by Venerable Fulton Sheen, probably the best Mary book out there, um, called World's First Love. Amazing. If like somebody like comes to me and he's like, hey, uh, I want to learn more about Mary. I just slap that and be like, there you go. That's like, that's that's perfect for you. Because <laughs> Fulton Sheen has just a way of writing. Um, then another great book is Hail Holy Queen by Scott Hahn. Mm. Um he very much came back to the, he, he was uh, evangelical, but then he came into the church because of Mary. And you'll see that. And you'll see that like throughout a lot of uh, converts come to the church because of Mary. Right? It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Um, and then uh, there's another one. We, of course, we cannot men- not mention the consecrations, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The... 33 Days of Morning Glory, uh, that is probably the best well-known and probably, honestly, probably the best uh, consecration to Mary out there. Um, and then, of course, you got the uh, the other kind of sim- in the same vein, more not really that famous, but famous, uh, St. John Paul II's uh, consecration to Mary, uh, Totus Tuis, um, right? That one's also a great one. Now, personally, I actually haven't done a consecration to Mary. I would love to in the future. Um, and if you would like to join me on that, hit me up, grab me at Olo, wherever you're at. Um, and I'd be more than happy to start one with, with other people, but I have something in plan before I do that. Um, you have a video, don't you? Yeah. So I was also thinking since you mentioned it, I think another good resource to check out if you're more of a visual audio type person, such as myself um definitely check out a talk by father donald calloway um he gave this talk over at seek 2019 it's like a big catholic conference right um he gave this like super big talk on like just everything you need to know about mary in just 50 minutes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which yeah. is only scratching the surface but honestly like yeah it was the went like once i watched that talk it was it was a lot of things that shed a lot of light to like things that i didn't even know about mary right so like yeah if you're just if you need like even more of a understanding of mary like i would definitely recommend that talk as well um just like look it up on youtube or something just you know father donald calloway seek 2019 mary type of thing yeah yeah i was yeah i was with you on that um when we first watched it it, it was uh it was a beautiful video um and with that so ends the first episode yeah 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 um yeah hopefully of course none of this was heresy
No, this is <laughs> we're just kind of we're kind of rolling with what we got, guys. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But um, yeah, um, yeah. We're just two kids in college. One that's a dropout. Another one, <laughs> <laughs> one who's uh kind of also kind of <laughs> one still still going on still going on that route. But oh, yeah. uh, we're uh, almost through. Yeah, we're, we're not theologians done. on this, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're we're just students. <laughs> we're just people that love. Oh yeah, we love we love God. We love Mary, and we love His church. Yeah. Hence, hopefully not heresy. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so thank you guys so much for watching or for listening. Actually, this is not a video. <laughs> um, yeah. I hope you guys found something like very fruitful or something that like you may have learned throughout this time. Um, definitely catch us on the next one. Um, yeah. I'm sure Ben has plenty more topics out of his head oh, yeah. <laughs> that he'd be willing to share with us. So um, catch us on the next episode whenever that comes out. And yeah, have a good day or night, depending on when you're listening to this. Yeah. Uh, St. Joseph. Pray for us. Our Mother Mary. Pray for us. Our Lord have mercy on us. Amen. <laughs>